Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. But turn in your Bibles today to Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3, verse 12 is where we're going to start. But during this uh, series called Summer Mixtape, uh, we're in part three of the series. We're going to be talking about a guy that maybe you haven't uh, heard of uh, before. Uh, it's, his name is Ahud, and, and it's going to be awesome. But we're looking at the different growth journeys, personal growth journeys of many different people in the Old Testament during this series uh, with the backdrop that life and leadership are an adventure, right? Life and leadership are an adventure and rarely does everything go just how we planned. But one thing I've, I've, I've realized as I get older, the older I get, the more I realize how much I don't know. Have you ever realized that? I, I see the blind spots and I see the gaps in my life more than I ever have before. The gaps between where I am and where God wants me to be. And I really believe that it's our job as Christ followers, as, as God has given us a life to live, to steward and to take care of the moments and the breaths and the, the, the hours and the days and the, the dreams that God has given us as we're stewards of that time to, to steward the gap, to always be closing it, right? We are in a lifelong pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. Coming to church and showing up here isn't just about feeling good. It's not just appeasing your conscience and checking it off the calendar one more time that, okay, God, I went to church this week, so be nice to me, right? That's not what it's about. We're in a lifelong, relentless pursuit to become more like Jesus. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. That's our goal. And so when you come to Mosaic Church and you say, hey, what are we about? We want to love God, love people, and lead the way. And so leadership is not an option if you're a Christ follower. It's what we do. We lead the way with our lifestyle and with our attitudes and with our actions and, and, and becoming more like Jesus, right? And so the day we stop trying to close the gap in our life is a scary day for our future. Why? Because healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. And I'm not just talking about organizations or buildings or anything. No, me. When I'm healthy, I am personally going to grow. I stopped growing physically a long time ago, and I didn't make it that high, right? But I'll, I hope I never stop growing spiritually, mentally, in my heart for Jesus, and my heart for others, we have to keep growing. Hopefully your mindset is one that is seeking to close the gap. We're seeking to close the gap. Listen, God wants to take you somewhere. Are you ready to go on the journey? Coasting is not an option. And today we see a character in scripture that definitely didn't coast, and, and I love it. And sometimes in scripture, when you read these Old Testament uh, stories, you got to read between the lines a little bit, and so we'll do that a little bit today, looking at the context and the history. But man, it's a huge honor for me today as I preach to have my youth pastor when I was a teenager in the house. His name is Tom, and his wife is Jenny Ragsdale, and so it's such an honor to have them with us today. And, and let me tell you what, I, 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 you know, 
I, I long before got over kind of the nervousness of preaching in front of my dad because a lot of you have heard my dad and he's usually here on Sunday mornings and so it's, it's kind of nerve-wracking preaching in front of like a preacher of preachers, right? Um, but, but I gotta tell you, having my youth pastor in the room today, it's just so cool and, and also a little bit like, man, the last time that he was around me a lot, I was a, I was a snotty-nosed 16-year-old <laughs> kid. Um, no, he was with me when I graduated high school and, and just such amazing mem- memories and so, Hey, if, 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 if you like the way your pastor does ministry a little bit, hey, we can give this guy a hand and give him a hug uh, around his neck after service. He, he had a lot to do with it. But anyway, Ehud, Ehud, Ehud Judges 3, 12. It begins with some really faithful words. It says, once again, once again. And what happened once again? The Israelites were unfaithful to God. And so this, this once again, these two words, they're faithful words that we hear over and over throughout the Old, Old Testament narrative. And it's almost like an, a highlighter. And I want you to think, if you read through the Old Testament, every time you see those words, once again, or, or you know, okay, here again, the Israelites did X, Y, and Z. I want that to be like a highlighter, an underscore, an exclamation point. You could put all the emojis that you want there that you can ever use to say, when you hear those words, this is why we need Jesus. This is why we need Jesus, because we couldn't do it on our own, because we could try and try and try and over and over and over and have another crack at it and have another crack at it, and guess what? We couldn't do it on our own. Because every time Israel failed, it showed that without Jesus, we can't measure up. You've probably heard me say here at Mosaic before that if, if we could have fixed ourselves, we would have already, right? My son Jason, um, uh, a month or two ago now, he sold his first truck. Why did he sell it? Because dad couldn't fix it. Have you ever been there, right? I did everything that I could possibly do. I talked to everybody I could, I could talk to. I had friends that were way smarter than me come over and check it out. And it turns out there was just some, some gremlin electrical problem that was some days fine and some days it wasn't. And I beat my head against the pavement trying to literally a couple times like <laughs> under the car, like my head hitting the pavement, trying to fix that truck. And guess what? I couldn't do it. And so the day where I realized I can't fix it, I could try my best, there's nothing I could do, it is a lost cause, was the day that I surrendered and gave up and said, okay, I can't do it. I'm gonna sell it and we're gonna start over. Fresh start, fresh search, hopefully better truck. We're still looking, and so, hey, if, if you're in the market, my son's in the market, and, and you can talk to him. But if we could have fixed ourselves, we could have already. And so the Israelites find themselves in this place again, and this time they endured oppression from the Moabites, and they had been under oppression from the Moabites for 18 years. 18 years. And so there was this leader named Eglon, and, 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 and he was a Moabite, and he enlisted the Ammonites and, and the Amalekites to come, and they were going to put the hurt on the Israelites. And so just a little historical context. The Moabites and the Ammonites, they were descendants of Lot, who was Abraham's nephew. And then the Amalekites were descendants of Esau, Jacob and Esau. Yeah, so years later, the descendants of these people are turned against God's people, the Israelites, and are oppressing them. 
The Moabites had great military skill, and so the Israelites were scared. And guess what? Eglon had come and set up his, his center of leadership in Jericho. Remember what happened at Jericho when the Israelites walked around the wall? It fell down. It was completely destroyed. The Bible says that not one stone was left on top of the other. And so somehow what God had done for the Israelites in taking out Jericho, at some point along the years, the enemy had taken back and rebuilt has that ever happened to you in your life? It's like something you thought you had whipped, something that you thought you had taken care of, maybe a, a sin in your life or a struggle in your life, and you're like, oh, God has given me victory over that, and then somehow over the years it rears its ugly head again and, and sets up camp right in your own living room? Well, the Israelites were going through this kind of thing, but in a very physical and real way, and for 18 years, the Moabites had oppressed them. And so in Judges 3.15, uh, we're going to read a, a section of this story that every time I read it, I'm like, man, this is action-packed and amazing. And so check this out. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again, everybody say again, raised up a rescuer to save them. God is gracious. Amen. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man, man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to, to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. After delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon, and said, I have a secret message for you. So the, king to, so the king commanded his servants, be quiet, and he sent them all out of the room. Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a, in a cool upstairs room. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. This is like a PG-13 uh, movie uh, in the Bible right here, right? Then, then Ehud uh, closed the locked doors of the room and escaped down the, the, the latrine. There's all kinds of crazy imagery in this story, right? It's like you feel like you're watching an, an action movie and, and it's like, what is going on here, right? Crazy story, lots of interesting details. And so let's unpack it this morning. Some of you are wondering, how in the world is this gonna apply to my life? Well, let's go. First thing that we, that we notice in this story is that you and I, we have got to learn how to embrace your God-given uniqueness. You've got to embrace your God-given uniqueness. In Judges 3.15, it says, His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. And so he had this label on him, a left-handed man, that's what people knew him as, because it was different than everybody else. 
Most people, and I did some research this week, 90% of people are right-handed. And so back in the day, there wasn't as many things made for left-handed people as they are now. Now you can go down to the guitar center if you're left-handed and you can get a left-handed guitar. Did you know they didn't start making those consistently for like for the masses till like 1950? And so just imagine what it was like, you know, thousands of years ago in this time. There probably wasn't a lot of things made for left-handed people. And so he was unique. Ehud has traditionally been identified as left-handed in English translations. But the Septuagint, which is the pre-Christian Greek translation of the Old Testament, identifies him as ambidextrous. And I love that. Because that means that he's not just different. He has a skill. He has abilities that most people don't have. Some people in, um, throughout the uh, ages have, have, have assumed and maybe thought that, that possibly even his right hand might have been disabled in, in some way, that, that, that maybe there was a problem with his right hand, or it was just possible that he was just left, left-handed. Possibly he had trained himself to use his left hand very well. Either way, he had a uniqueness about him. He had skills that God had given him and he obviously made a decision that he was going to use those skills and, wait and use the way that God had made him for God's glory, right? Listen, what one person sees as a limitation, and some of you left-handed people, my best friend uh, back in Illinois, he's left-handed, and, and when we would sit down to, to lunch or dinner, you know, sometimes he'd be like, no, you can't sit here, you have to come over here. And why? Because he's always bumping elbows with people trying to eat right? And so sometimes it feels like, oh man, this gets in the way. But what one person sees as a limitation, another might use for advantage. And many times in life, innovation or, or even things that stand out from the crowd and God uses for his glory, innovation is often born out of limitations. Man, you see this all over the place. We don't have the money to do X, Y, and Z, so we figure out a new way of doing things, right? And we find out that this new way of doing things that we had to do just out of sheer determination and resourcefulness is actually better than the other way. Have you ever been there? So I wanna encourage you, church, to stop seeing your differences and how God made you in a unique way as limitations. See them as God-ordained opportunities to make a unique contribution to the kingdom of God. Stop thinking that you gotta be like so-and-so who, who does X, Y, and Z, right? Just because God didn't give you their talents doesn't mean that God didn't make you in a unique way that he wants to use for his glory. See these things as opportunities to make a unique contribution to God's kingdom. Only you can make the unique contribution to God's kingdom that you can. No one else And this is such a key component of our walk with Christ and closing the gap to realize that we have to own how God made us and and then take what God has given us and contribute it back to the kingdom of God for his glory. No one else can lead the way for you. You've got to lead the way. Taking what God has given you is your gifts and talents and giving them back to God. So many people think, and I come across this in ministry all the time, that they have nothing to offer Well, Joe, I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't play the fiddle. And they come up with all kinds of things that they can't do, right? 
Don't ever, ever insult God by saying, this is all I have to give. Don't, don't insult somebody that called you a masterpiece, his workmanship, by saying, I know it's not much, but this is all I have to give. Listen, all you have is always enough. Let that sink into your heart and your mind today. All you have is always enough in the hands of a loving God. It's always enough. So don't let your mind or the devil trick you into thinking that your limitations make it to where you can't be used by God in a powerful way. God doesn't mess up or make junk ever. Amen? My only caution with this train of thought is to never confuse uniqueness with your sinful nature. And sometimes in our culture and in our day, we do get them confused. We think that this is how I feel, therefore I am, and that, that's, a, that's a dangerous place to be. So don't confuse your uniqueness with your sinful nature. God-given uniqueness will always bring you more in line with Scripture and not lead you away from it, amen? And so seek the kind of uniqueness in your life and find it the way that God created you to contribute to his kingdom for his glory and his honor. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, uh, Paul says it uh, like this. He says, um, in, and he's talking about this conversation that he had with God, and he says that every time God said to him, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen? So whatever you perceive as a weakness in your life, whatever you might perceive as a limitation, whatever you see that is unique in your life that you have always thought was a negative part about you, don't do that. Let God's power work through it for his glory and for his honor, amen? Number two, the second thing that we see in the life of Ehud is that we need to commit yourself, commit ourselves to being prepared at all times. Commit yourself to being prepared at all times. Think about the context. Israel under oppression for 18 years. 18 years with a thumb on them. 18 years of not being in charge. 18 years of not having the power. 18 years of not getting to decide where you're going and what you're going to do and doing it freely. 18 years. But when Ehud's time came and when he was called and when Israel asked him to be their leader and God appointed him to be the judge, he was ready he was ready. How do we know this? Well, not just here, but in other scripture, in Judges 2016, it talks about left-handed men from the tribe of Benjamin. And so in, in Judges 2016, it says, among Benjamin's elite troops, 700 were left-handed, and each of them could sling a rock and hit a target within a hair's, hair's breadth without missing. And so what can we deduce from this? That Ehud was probably one of these special forces soldiers from the tribe of Benjamin that had put in hours and hours of training that, that was ready when he got the call. Based on this evidence, we can think that, that he was a warrior who had been trained 
to use either his left hand or his right hand with equal effectiveness, just like highly skilled athletes today. You know, you go to the, the FC Cincinnati game, any fans out there today, right? It's awesome, number one, it's amazing. And you watch these guys and, and you can't tell by looking if they're left-footed or right-footed, right? Why? Because they put in hours and hours and hours since they were five years old or younger at training themselves to use both feet the same. Hours. So that when that moment came, they're ready. My brother told me that the other day uh, they put out a 15-year-old on the field. And that's so cool. How many of you want to know that 15-year-old's been training and waiting for that moment? Waiting for that moment. And that's the same attitude that we see Ehud had. He, he didn't have to flub around and figure out his way through it. He was ready when the moment came. He was most likely highly trained, highly disciplined, practiced, and ready. Way too many times, church, we wait for the opportunity and then start preparing. We wait for God to knock on our door or somebody to tap us on the shoulder before we start preparing. We wait for the position and the title of a leader before we start acting like a leader, don't we? But we need to prepare for our opportunities before we even know about them yet. Why? Because time is a gift to steward and you never know how much or how little you're gonna have, right? How much time do you invest in your personal preparation of yourself, of being the man, being the woman that God has called you to be, of diving into his word, of spending time on his feet in prayer, of getting to know Jesus more every single day, preparing your heart for whatever God would have for you next. And here's a clarifying question in this, under this topic. What do you value more, comfort or calling? What do you value more? Do you value more just that comfortable spot, being on the couch with that perfect Netflix show and a, bottle, and, a, and a bucket of popcorn in front of you? When you know that that is the only time you're gonna have this week to invest in yourself. And so times like that really reveal, what do I, what do I value more? Do I value comfort or calling? Listen, don't sacrifice your readiness in God's hands for comfort. Comfort has no long-term value. Now, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't ever rest. I'm not saying don't take time for yourself. I'm not saying that. I'm saying be strategic with it. And when you rest and when you're rejuvenated, you're getting yourself ready for the next thing that God wants you to do through you. There's a huge difference between getting ready for God's next thing and just binging on comfort, isn't there? Huge difference. Comfort has no long-term value. It's here one moment and then it's gone the next. And so let me just tell you, because some of you aren't convinced yet, you are worth the investment. Invest in yourself. Invest yourself, ask yourself, what will prepare me for God's call in my life? Will it, is it prayer, reading God's word, memorizing scripture, reading great books that are gonna help me be a better leader, getting a mentor, having a teachable spirit? What is gonna help prepare me 
for God's best in my life. I love what one wise man said. He said, practicing is not amazing. Studying is not amazing. Showing up is not amazing. Working hard is not amazing. Asking questions is not amazing. Changing is not amazing. Trying is not amazing. Failure is not amazing. Trying again is not amazing. But every one of these things is necessary. It's necessary. And it's what we do. As Christ followers who want to be like Jesus, we say, I'm going to make myself prepared. I'm going to get ready for what God wants to do in my life because I don't know the day where he's going to call me to something or or ask me to do something. But when that moment comes, I want to be ready. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says it like this. Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. For some reason in the kingdom of God, we've got this tier system and we think that sometimes this kind of work is more important than this kind of work and and these things are more important than these things, but no. When you invest in yourself for God's glory and you spend time on your knees in prayer and you spend time in the word of God and you're investing in, in, in your own spiritual life for his glory, you're preparing yourself for the moment where says, for the moment where God says, batter up, let's go. The last thing that we see in the life of Ehud is that, hey, we need to consider the cost of leadership. Number three, consider the cost of leadership. Judges 3.19, it says, after delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. I love that. He turned back. What does this say to us today? That that when he turned back, number one, he had a plan. Number two, he was willing to go the extra mile. He was willing to do things that others wouldn't. He was willing to lead the way, right? Let me tell you, leading the way, closing the gap in your life, growing in your personal leadership and in your relationship with Christ, it will always cost you something, always. David even said, I don't want to bring a sacrifice to the Lord that costs me nothing, right? It's going to cost you something. Now, thankfully, and you can be really thankful for this, that when we read these stories in the Old Testament, a lot of times they're descriptive of what happened to them, not necessarily prescriptive for what God is going to do in your life, because thankfully most of us will never have to crawl down a latrine, right? Now, if you're wondering, if you need a little bit more uh, mental picture of what this looks like, just imagine those state parks with the pit toilets and crawling down the hole. No fun. Or if you've seen Slumdog Millionaire in the beginning when the kid like, like goes down into the latrine and then comes out and he looks like he looks, right? <laughs> you know, no one wants to think about this, right? It's uncomfortable. But when you follow Jesus... Chances are you're going to need to have a willingness to get outside of your comfort zone a little bit. It's going to cost you something. You'll probably even find yourself going it alone at some point or in some, some, some situation in some way. And you're going to feel like, man, I'm the only one doing fill in the blank. All of us feel that way at one time or another when we answer the call to follow Jesus. Now, This doesn't mean that you should always be alone. This is not the norm. We're made for community, but your commitment has to be yours. 
not a community commitment. Your personal commitment and follow through is what makes the community strong. Your personal commitment to go the extra mile, your personal commitment to pay the cost, your personal commitment to say, hey, it's okay sometimes if I'm getting a little uncomfortable for Jesus because I'm following him and doing whatever he calls me to do. You can't have one without the other. You can't. And let me define the reality of your leadership potential, the reality of following Jesus, the reality of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's uphill all the way. Jesus' blessings in our life are innumerable, and I could never make it through life without him. But when I say I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm committing to a tough road from now until the end of my life. Jesus said, in this world, you will be, have many troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, I'm not saying that your life is just gonna be hard all the time when you follow Jesus, but sometimes it's really hard. And sometimes we put the two and two together, like if I'm following Jesus, my life shouldn't be hard and vice versa, and it's, and, and it's just not the case. Life and real things happen. They happen. And a lot of times it just feels like it's uphill all the way. Judges 3.27, it says, When he arrived at the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills to attack the Moabites. So get this, he, he comes out of the latrine. He runs all the way back to his people. And guess what he do, has to do to get there? He runs uphill. He runs uphill. He gets to the top of the hill. He calls all the people. And only after he had gone it alone and only after he had climbed the hill did he lead the people back down the hill towards victory. So much of the time, we, we don't consider the cost of leadership that it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard a little bit before it gets better. The very last thing before the victory that he did was he climbed a hill. There's cost when you follow Jesus. I love what Adoniram Judson said. He was an early American missionary. He said, there is no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it is because someone has suffered before you. If you sacrifice without success, it is because someone will succeed after you. I love that. And that's the life of a missionary because sometimes you sow seeds and you sow seeds and you sow seeds and you don't see a lot of, of outcome. And then later on, somebody comes, comes and, and because of the seeds that you planted, God brings the increase later. It's almost like to prove just sometimes that it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about us just being faithful, right? So don't ignore what's in front of you and the tough things that God is calling you to just because you're seeking a life of comfort. Consider the cost of leadership. Ehud's story has some exciting, but also uncomfortable details, right? And a lot of times this is what leadership and life and ministry and parenting looks like, that you're gonna deal with really uncomfortable things. I will never forget the time that my, my, my newborn son, well, six months old or so, puked straight in my mouth, right? Uncomfortable, gross, right? It's like, I thought it was just all going to be snuggles and baby smells. And, 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 and no, it's like gross sometimes. You've probably all, all your parents have been peed on or, or whatever at some time, you know, changing diapers. It's like, what? 
it gets awkward. And we see some of those kind of bathroom details in the story. I had a friend back in Illinois, um, super funny guy, and he would always say, it can be awkward for me or it could be awkward for you. I choose you, <laughs> right? Because he would just make other people uncomfortable because then he was in control of the awkwardness. <laughs> And uh, it was always, always cause for a good laugh. And, 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 but when it comes to our life and leadership and dealing with tough stuff, broken relationships, conflict that we don't want to have, you know, um, things that happen in leadership, it's like, hey, sometimes we got to choose the awkward and we got to walk into it and we got to walk through it and just do what God has called us to do. Now, thankfully, and I... I <laughs> For the, those of you that are super black and white and literal out there, uh, thankfully God's not calling us to walk into people's rooms and stab people anymore, right? Well, there's a new covenant. There's a new way of doing things now. You know, God's not calling us to a physical uh, war per se. He's calling us to a spiritual war, right? Where we win that war through prayer and faithfulness and, and we're fighting spiritual battles, not physical battles anymore. But you might have to go it alone some point. You might have to go through some family drama or break out of some generational habits and, or some parenting mistakes that it feels like you're kind of going through that latrine. It feels like you're getting drugged through the mud of the, of the, the circumstances of life, right? You might have to get serious about change and endure some difficulty. But it's worth it. 2 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29, Paul said, I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been cold and hungry and thirsty. I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without, without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? There's a cost to following Jesus and leadership. And so, but I wanna encourage you today, church, just like Ehud, oppressed for 18 years. But what did he do? He embraced his God-given uniqueness. He committed himself to vigorous preparation and he considered the cost of leadership and he was ready to pay the cost when the time came. I believe that every single one of you, God is calling you to something and he's asking you to get ready, to prepare, to spend time at the feet of Jesus. Get God's word in your heart and be ready for that moment when God taps you on the shoulder and says, that neighbor, that friend, it's time for you to lead them to me. That ministry, it's time for you to step into that role. That, that, um, that, that person at work, that extra grace required person at work, you're the one that is gonna show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's time to step up. It's time to pay the cost. Amen? It's worth it. It's worth it. And God is faithful, and whether it's in this life or the next, he always gets the victory. Amen? Always. We serve a victorious God who wins. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads and close your eyes today. Man, I've been preaching long lately, and I need to reel this in, but, but hey, you might be here today and through a song or through the message or maybe even a previous week or, or maybe even during communion, you realized, hey, this is for real. God's spirit touched you in a way that only, um, only he can explain. And, and, and you're like, man, God's real. Jesus really died for me on the cross. He rose again on the third day. I believe that now and I'm ready to make a decision to follow Jesus. 
If that's you today and, and you're, you're at that turning point moment in your life and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, I just encourage you to boldly raise your hand all across this place. If that's you, raise your hand. Say, I want to follow Jesus. That's me. If you're sitting at home on the couch watching on the live stream, hey, raise your hand. You know why? Because God sees you. It's just a physical act that says, God, I'm saying yes to you. Amen. If you raised your hand today, I want to encourage you that you can pray a simple prayer. And you can either pray after me or you can just pray this to yourself in your own heart. The bottom line is that you need to mean it. And you just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and my savior. Help me from this day forward to follow you and to obey your word. Jesus, I believe in you and I trust you. I'm a follower of you now. Amen. The Bible says that when we put our trust in Christ like that, that he makes us a new creation. Amen. And so we've got a bag with a Bible and, and resources for you in the lobby. If you made that choice today, I want to encourage you to swing by the, the Welcome Center and pick that up. We'd love to get that in your hand so you can start reading God's Word and have some resources in there to start you off in your journey. But if you could stand with me this morning, if you say, Joe, hey, I'm ready to embrace my God-given uniqueness. I'm ready to commit myself to preparation. I'm ready to, to pay the cost of leadership in following Jesus. If that's you, as I pray a closing prayer today, I just encourage you to raise your hand and say, God, that's me, all right? And so I hope there's hands up all across this place, people saying, hey, God, I wanna serve you. Here we go, let's pray. God, here we are. God, we commit ourselves to you. God, we know that sometimes you're gonna, you're gonna ask us to step into awkward situations. God, there's gonna be things that you called us to do that we're not quite comfortable with. But we know that when you're with us, you're going to give us the victory. And so, God, here we are. Help us to see our, our uniqueness and the ways that you get to this as just what they are, gifts. Gifts. And help us to use them for your glory. God, help us to be people who are always prepared, who are doing our best to, to, to grow every day in our relationship with you. And help us, Lord, to always be ready to pay the cost of leadership, of discipleship, of stepping out and leading the way for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.